0: Welcome to Nourishing Matters to Chew On. I'm Anthea Fawcett. Join me on a journey across our food and agricultural landscapes as I speak with inspiring people who are tackling parts of the wicked puzzle to enable change toward a healthier, more sustainable, fair and resilient food system and environment. I acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connections to land, water and culture. I acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Hi, Erica. Great to catch up again. How are you?
1: Hi, Anthea. I'm well, thanks. Good to catch up with you too. I can't believe it's been
0: 12 months since we last spoke. I know, that's right. It's almost a year since we spoke about Farmer Meets Foodie that you're the founder of for Now She Matters. And I just thought it would be really great you know, one year on and so much that's gone on uh, in food supply chains and local areas and fuel prices and all the rest Mm -hmm. to hear from you about how how you and how Farmer Meets Foodie is traveling. I mean, so much has changed that really, really highlight the very special value of what you do and, you know, your top end virtual farmers market and a really unique producer to chef and consumer, regional foodie network that you've set up and uh, have been facilitating. What's news for Farmer Meets Foodie?
1: Yeah, I guess that like in the last 12 months, probably when we spoke last, we thought the supply chain issues with COVID were all in the past and life was getting back to normal. But it seems that this kind of enterprise is, you know, in demand more and more for so the ongoing situations apart from COVID and increasing fuel prices and, and I guess people, yeah, needing better prices for food as well which is it's all has a knock-on effect so yeah we had a really busy time after we spoke to you last we just got the demand got greater and greater over those next few months I think August or October were our biggest months to the point that we couldn't keep growing at that pace Um, we were kind of getting to growing too quickly for the resources that we had so we scaled right back in November I think November October November so yeah, we scaled back to just back to the producers doing and the other small businesses we work with doing their own deliveries, whereas we were doing most of the deliveries before that, which worked well and for the customer that, you know, they were getting all the products on the same day. But yeah, we'll just scale back while we reassess things and, and work out what model is going to work best to meet the demand. So that's kind of where we're
0: at at the moment. Yeah, no, because you were basically providing this free service, this conduit connecting producers and consumers and chefs, which was incredible social capital contribution to get it all firing up and the system, system working. But it sounds as though now you've got all the linkages in place and producers are delivering direct to the chefs and to the individual consumers and so forth. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, but, you know, a lot aren't, you know, don't have the capacity to do that so we're still working on on being able to offer that service to them linking in with other transport providers um, so that's i mean the great thing about what we achieved last year was we've now got a good lot of data to work on to work out how how it can do that and what areas to target and focus on mm-hmm. so that's yeah where we've focused our energy a lot in the last couple of months is looking at that data and and making new connections as far as transport goes, and what options are, and and where we can go further forward. Yeah,
0: and for listeners, when we're talking about transport, we're talking about you know the top end of Queensland, cans out across the Gulf, and so uh, Erica and Farmer Meets Foodie have set up these linkages with um, existing transport providers to to provide assistance for this regional and local distribution network, which is pretty unique. It's different to uh, more closely settled urban areas in perhaps Victoria or New South Wales. So, so it, it's an incredible thing you're doing. Just on that subject of distribution networks and, you know, obviously particular to each local and regional area and what's available, um, the Open Food Network, who we've spoke about or touched on last time we spoke, mm. they just are going from strength to strength. They're Victoria-based, but they have, um, you know, a national uh, footprint and they've been recognised internationally for their incredible software model and Uh, process that they facilitate Um, and they've recently celebrated 10 years and you know growing food hubs and producer to consumer networks and so forth and they've also been investing in and have got underway with you know victorian government financial support i think some really innovative um Local distribution networks and and um, transport networks. Are you in touch with Open Food Network at all, or is that something still on, still on the horizon?
1: We haven't had a lot of conversations, I guess, because they're working in a different region. But yeah. um, certainly something that we probably look into talking more to them, definitely admire what they do, though I don't know all the ins and outs of how the operation works. There's a lot of
0: similar of models popping up, I guess. That's what's so impressive, that different regions, different areas, different yeah. organisations of people, whether they're farmer-driven or consumer-driven or, or um you know, cooperative driven that that's from where I sit that's what I see happening there is there's just this proliferation of these amazing models and yours is so particular to a very high need high opportunity area so that's why I thought it was great to touch base with you again when we spoke part of the idea for farmer meats foodie was very much about connecting local growers and producers of all these fantastic foods that grow in um, tropical cans area and out across um the gulf you know beef production and and other that you were connecting producers directly with commercial users and chefs um, you know, give, bearing in mind that the Cairns Daintree rainforest area traditionally is such an important tourist hub, and of course, tourism took a big hit, and so many of those hospitality industries did as well. But now the borders have opened. Can you comment just anecdotally on what, what's the vibe? Has has tourism picked up? Are commercial chefs and hospitality businesses? getting good business again, recovering?
1: Definitely changed our focus with COVID to more the home consumer because so many of the restaurants and cafes just closed altogether. Initially, a lot just closed during that first lockdown, but many didn't reopen. Obviously, there's still some going strong and a lot of those have had their own networks for many years prior to us coming in. But yeah, there's still, it's a bit hard to say. I wouldn't say that tourism is back in full swing yet in far north queensland There certainly has phases you know peak times where there's a bit more action and school holidays it's very much been focused on the domestic market the last two years which you know in some areas they did pretty well but yeah a lot of the time it's just quiet and and then when they are getting busy there's a real challenge with getting staff in the far north um, there's just not the workforce there without the backpackers. So yeah, it's a bit hard to tell. And I'm, you know, I'm interested to see where the whole food eating out movement goes post COVID if eating out is going to be as popular as it was. Um, I'm not sure if you're seeing that in Sydney. Um, or whether It'll evolve into something totally different
0: again. Yeah, that's a really interesting comment. I don't, I don't think it has bounced back in, well, it certainly hasn't bounced back in the same way that it was pre-COVID, I don't think. The question of staff, big, big issue in the agricultural sector. There's lots of talk about the ag visa and hopes that it will come into force sometime soon. And from a food sustainability, food waste perspective, I read recently that um 25% of horticultural production goes to waste on farm because it doesn't get it doesn't get off farm. Now, that's obviously related to lots of things, weather, climate, but a lot of it must be due to workforce. Mm. Do you have any insights on workforce issues with regard to horticulture and, you know, the more intense um, fruit and veg production that you see in your region? How, how have people been coping with workforce labour issues?
1: I'm not an expert on that area, but I just I know that it has been a challenge and there's a lot of industry and government that are doing quite a bit to get workforce available for the fruit picking in the region. But certainly the growers I've talked to, it's been an ongoing challenge getting quality workers to get them coming back each season. I mean, from the food waste perspective, some of the farmers and producers we work or and small businesses we're working with, it's really around that seconds product that may not usually get sold so you know one of the most popular products that we shift been shifting is that eco bananas so the organic bananas and they work with taste before waste to pick up excess products so they don't just do bananas they do sweet potatoes and pumpkins and all kinds of things that aren't going to be sold otherwise and they collect it from the farms and then re- and sell it so
0: oh, that sounds interesting T- tell me a bit more about taste before waste I love that
1: yeah so they started in Innisfail to the company that grows eco bananas it's a family business and the daughter and her partner got that going and um, they sold the business last year so another family's taken it over and yeah they just collect products from different farms and and deliver it to people's homes in Cairns um, and they have some pickup points for some of the other towns so we will do deliveries for them as well or people can purchase their stuff and and get it delivered through us Um, so it's just creating another market for them.
0: Yeah when we spoke um, you've already mentioned fuel prices and food prices related to them and you know one of the big take-homes from our chat last time was that 3,000 kilometre or thereabouts loop for so much of Produce grown in your region going down to Brisbane markets and back up to Cairns. Mm. So, food miles and fuel cost miles, are you seeing really clear price differences between products that have have done the 3,000 kilometre loop and those that you are selling directly?
1: No, because uh, it's cheaper for a farmer to send a pallet of produce to Brisbane than it is to distribute it around Cairns. It's just the way the transport system, I'm not, I don't really understand how they get it so cheap <laughs> the way it's set up and that but the farmers getting a lot less for that product than what they can get to move it locally so I mean that's part of the big challenge of why product isn't sold more locally but you're sending bigger quantities to the capital cities because there's more people there too so it's definitely and that's what we're you know working on now is how we can explain to the customer or show them this is this is the cost of the produce, you know. This is what the farmer's getting for the produce, and this is how much it's going to cost. It costs to get it to your door, and then the value of that cost compared to the cost of, you know, the unseen costs of sending it to Brisbane. They don't see how much that costs and how much that's costing the producer, but also how much it's costing the environment and how much it's costing the freshness of the food. So, how do we how do we explain that to the customer so that they can see that real value and? in paying to get that product to their door and and keeping that money locally.
0: You know, if, if the product that goes via the market to Brisbane or that goes via your virtual online farmer's market locally, regionally without that footprint... If, if the product is sold at the similar price, the farmer who's going who's selling via your network is getting more more money directly for their for their product. Mm. The price is staying the same still means the benefit going back to local producers is absolutely key to the benefits of what you're enabling through Farmer Meets Foodie. Yeah.
1: And there's no doubt that people want a good price and a good deal for their produce. Like the things we've sold a lot of have been the seconds that you know it's still good quality fruit but it's been a really good price and people definitely look out for that
0: erica i thought i think i saw a lovely um post from the golf region on on international women's day that i think they you might have been featured with golf nrm was would you like to tell me about that
1: (laughs) yeah well they just did a feature of women from the region that um are doing interesting things so they included us us in that so that was really nice just giving a bit of an update of what we've been doing and you know, the impact we're having in the region. So, or that we're working on having in the region.
0: (laughs) I think you are. And last time we spoke, you also mentioned that maybe, and it sounds like you've gone through this huge growth spurt. And as you've said, you've had to sort of scale back and reassess, but while keeping, Mm. sticking to the core business of it all, you mentioned you had had some plans to go for some grant funding or some philanthropic or business development support. How, how did that go or is that still in the pipeline?
1: Good. so we've just we've got a social enterprise growth grant through the Queensland government so that's just helping us to do this restructure I suppose that's helping us work out what that, this new model will be and how we market that to the customer and and really tie it up as a neat package or something that's useful for both ends of the market
0: what's the sort of profile of the producers using the network now is it um, in terms of numbers perhaps and perhaps a bit of a profile of the sorts of products that are finding the the, the virtual farmers network a really good um, outlet
1: it's a mix yeah so it, a lot of the most popular products are things like We have quite a lot of pesticide-free and um, biodynamic products, so bananas, passion fruits, um, avocados are really popular, blueberry, all those things that they could get for a good price. We had some good deals on blueberries for a couple of months there last year. Um, Those fresh products are really popular, and then we're working with Austral Fisheries with the prawns and seafood like a more high-end product. There's a lot of interest in the different meat products, but there's not a lot of meat producers in the region that, are doing direct consumer there's a few but they're very small scale and we'd have a pork producer we've sold quite a few pork on the platform there's a couple of egg producers
0: on the platform as well so Uh, egg producers you know sustainable egg producers have done incredibly well during covid through virtual platforms yeah
1: yeah so yeah pastured free range so yeah all of those guys are mostly all family businesses so quite small operators. And
0: Erica, the um, social enterprise grant from the state government that you've received, is that enabling you to, is that very much for you and your family team to to have the time and expertise to, to do what you need to do? Or are you able to get some technical and other human, human resources support?
1: Yeah, it's just to engage consultants to assist us with some, with the structure and or well, mostly just all strategy, a bit of updates on the platform and that type of thing.
0: And Erica, have other people or fledgling projects from other regions been in touch with you to learn about how you set up Farmer Meets Foodie and sort of with a view to perhaps, you know, replicating or adapting what you've done?
1: Yeah, not so much lately. I guess we haven't been traveling around as much the last two years as we were a couple of years prior to that. We were talking a lot more to different ag tech companies and that kind of thing, but with the restrictions on travel and our immersion um, in what we were doing, we haven't been out and about so much the last couple of months or so, but definitely probably looking at that into the future, how we can collaborate more with other businesses and groups going forward.
0: And cooperatives and other sort of social enterprises aspiring to do similar things, yeah you know through tough times that you've you've kept it going so well and it's obviously growing continues to grow on that seconds market and the value of that locally for well, great to speak with you erica and um, i look forward to sharing y- your update with a repost of your other wonderful episode that you shared with me um, about a year ago thanks there i appreciate it thanks for listening to listen to more episodes of nourishing matters to chew on head to foodswell's podcast page at foodswell.org.au backslash nourishing or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and stay in touch via instagram at nourishing underscore matters and on facebook at nourishing matters to chew on if you like what you hear and would like to support us give us a rating and a review in your favorite podcast app so other people can find us too nourishing matters to chew on is proud to be on the climactic network of podcasts and part of a collective of podcasters dedicated to inspiring positive action around climate change Check out the other great podcasts on the Climactic Network at www.climactic.fm.